Hello? Am I on? Nice. The magic of the on button. How are we doing this morning? Good? Yeah? Well, it's a joy to be here this morning as we sang. Some weeks I like to belt out the lyrics. Some weeks I like to just sit and listen to the rest of your beautiful voices. And it's great to just kind of sit and listen to this mass group of people singing praises to our God. So, so excited to be here with you this morning. If you've been with us for the last little while, you'll know that we have been working through a series on the Lord's Prayer, which we wrapped up last week. And next week, we are starting a series on the I Will Statements of Jesus. And that's a series that our new incoming pastors are going to be participating in. And so I would encourage you to continue to keep them in your prayers as they I believe today is their last Sunday at their current church and will be venturing across the country to join us. So continue to keep them in your prayers. But this week is a week that's kind of in the middle. And Brian told me that I got to preach on anything I wanted. <laughs> and it's a risky play, giving that to the new guy. Um, but I'm not going to go rogue this morning. Um, and I thought it would actually be a good week to do a bit of a deeper dive into our next practice of the month. Um, and it's actually this next practice that situates, the, the foundation of this practice is situated in the, the very text, Matthew 6, that we've been working through. So it works out beautifully. Um, and so if you've been with us for a while, you've probably heard us reference the practice of the month. Um, but we've been doing it long enough that I figured it was worth a bit of a refresher and so, way back in January, we did a series on discipleship and spiritual formation, and I don't have time to reteach that series. Um, that is available on our YouTube channel and on our podcast, and so if you missed that and you're wondering about some of the things I say today and you have questions, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that. But the gist of that series is that spiritual formation and discipleship, or apprenticeship is the language that we used, is all about becoming more like Jesus. Right? which happens as we partner with God. And so God's part is to transform us by the power of his spirit more and more into his image. And our part is creating the space for that to happen. And we talked about how the way we create that space is by engaging in his teaching, engaging in his practices, and engaging in his body or informative Christian community. And the reason we do that is because our beliefs, our habits, and, uh, and the people we surround ourselves with play a huge role in shaping the people that we ultimately become. And so if we have an idea of what we want that to be, that being Jesus, then we have to orient those key things around the life of Jesus. And so our practice of the month was burst out of just our, in, our desire to spur one another on as we try to engage in the practices of Jesus, or more traditionally known as the spiritual disciplines, um, to try and model our just daily and weekly and monthly habits around the lifestyle that Jesus lived while he was here on earth. And so we've been highlighting different, different practices that, based on the life and the teaching of Jesus the last number of months, we started with practicing the presence of God, we covered silence and solitude, gratitude, memorization, um, today is June 26th, if I'm not mistaken, so it's still self-care, so it's kale salads for like five more days. Um, but our next practice is 
what I want to spend a bit of time going through this morning. A bit of a different message this morning, but one that I think will serve us all well. And so, if you have a Bible, you can open up to that text we've been looking at for a number of weeks now, Matthew 6. Um, And we can start off right where we left off with the Lord's Prayer. So I'd imagine all of us agree that Brian and Glenda did a bang-up job in that series, and there's multiple take-home points that I think we, I'm sure we all took away about kind of crafting how we approach God in prayer. If I were to reflect on my own experience going through that series and talking about it in our small group on Tuesday evenings, I would say my takeaway is very linked to what, I didn't actually write that prayer moment, very linked to what, what Cameron shared in that, that prayer insight about how prayer should be used to orient ourselves in relation to God. And this is what I mean by that. So if you look at that prayer, um, the first half of the prayer is really just about acknowledging who God is, glorifying his name, acknowledging the work that he's doing on earth by uniting heaven and earth. And then we get to this middle chunk of the prayer where it's a little bit more about ourselves, right? Because God wants to relate to us. He wants us to bring our worries and our burdens and our joys to him. And so he encourages us to pray for our daily bread, to reflect on just our own behavior throughout the day, and to come before him with repentant hearts, and to pray that he would deliver us from temptation. And then we get that last line, right? Um, For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And that's essentially what we talked about last week, just a loop back to what we started at, right? And acknowledging who God is and orienting ourselves, who we are in relation to him and what he's doing in our world. And so my takeaway is that I think, I think that ordering is actually significant and I think it communicates something to us. And I think, as that prayer insight noted, I think Jesus knew that we have a tendency to think that the world revolves around us. I know we all know it doesn't. But I think we fall into this trap of responding to heartaches or joys in life or just as life gets unfolds before us, responding as if it does. And so I think that this prayer very helpfully reminds us that that is actually not the case and that our primary purpose in life as disciples of Jesus is not internally directed or internally driven, right? Our primary purpose is participating alongside God in the work that he's doing in the world and to step into that story each and every day. And so you certainly see that in the way that Jesus teaches us to pray, but you continue to see it as you work yourself through the rest of that chapter in Matthew 6. And so if you keep reading, um, you'll hear Jesus teach on, for lack of better words, the, the pointlessness of storing up treasures on earth. He does some teaching on money, on possessions, He does some teaching on not worrying about our daily physical needs. And then we arrive at verse 33, where Jesus says something I'm sure we've all heard before. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. It's the same thing he communicated when he was teaching us how to pray, just a little bit more explicit this time. He's saying, I know there are things that are going to worry you, but they don't require or deserve your undivided attention. Instead, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, and I will, I will take care of all that other stuff for you. And so he's, once again, 
asking us to wake up every day and to just situate ourselves in his unfolding story for humanity, a story that thankfully we know the ending of, but is one that's actually unfolding before our very eyes and is inviting us to step into that each and every day and to play the role that he has for us. And that's what I think it means when Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. And so if you're a disciple of Jesus, I would imagine that that is how you would like to frame your life, and that is generally how you see it. You'd probably also say you have good days and you have bad days. I'm, I'm hoping that I'm not the, I'm assuming I'm not the only one that has bad days and trying to orient my life like that. And I would say that the reason it's so challenging is because, yes, we are members of the kingdom of God, but we also live in a world that completely rejects the kingdom of God um, and certainly rejects the kingship of Christ. And so we live in a world that adheres to wildly different outlooks on life with very different guiding principles that they use to navigate life. Individual freedoms, instant gratification, materialism, self-fulfillment, the absence of any kind of objective truth, these are like the core principles that our society just sits on and uses to understand themselves, understand the world, and to generally just make their decisions in life. And so as disciples of Jesus, we very happily sit right in the middle of that. Um, we're a part of the kingdom, trying to seek the kingdom, but are surrounded in a world that has no desire to do that and believes that human flourishing is achieved in drastically different ways and wants to kind of pull us into that. And so my question for us this morning is, is there a practice based on the teaching and life of Jesus that helps us break free from the soul-draining habits and worldview of our culture that will help us seek first the kingdom of God. And I wouldn't have much of a sermon if the answer to that was no. The answer to that is thankfully yes, and it is on the screen right there. Simplicity is the practice that we are going to be highlighting today and for the rest of this month. And the, some of you may have heard of this, some of you may not. The best definition I have read on this practice is the intentional promotion of the things that we most value and the removal of everything that just distracts us from them. And I think our tendency often when we think of this simplicity is to completely just rid ourselves of anything good and pleasurable, kind of like it's all about self-denial or self-deprivation. I don't think that's it at all. I think it's about living in a way that allows our hearts to be drawn towards the thing we say our heart is worthy of being drawn to. Or put another way, it's, it's a lifestyle decision that allows us to live according to the gospel of Jesus Christ and not according to the gospel that our 21st century West has created. Um, and it's a lifestyle decision that involves simplifying our lives to better help us seek first the kingdom of God, primarily in the way we spend the two resources we have at our disposal, our time and our money. Because those two things are the things that generally speaking, but universally draw us and our attention away from seeking first the kingdom of God and cause us to seek first that other kingdom of the 21st century West that we live in. And so we're going to spend a couple minutes this morning talking about simplicity and specifically how simplifying our lives will help us seek first the kingdom of God. So we'll start with our possessions. What is the prevailing message we hear today? 
The more you have, the happier you will be. You might not hear that being said explicitly. You might actually hear the opposite being said. But our world tends to operate, regardless of what they say, as if that statement is true. Right? We live in a world where we believe material items will fulfill us. And our vision, if we envision the most ideal possible life, it's one that's filled with a lot of money and a lot of stuff. That's just generally how things are viewed. And if you don't believe me, you probably do, but if you don't believe me, I don't often say go on YouTube binges, but go on a YouTube binge and look at the evolution of the advertising industry in the last like 50 years. Because like 50 years ago, um, products used to be advertised based on their quality or longevity or necessity. Like they actually advertised the product for what it is. Flash forward to today, they don't care about communicating any of that to us, really. All they want to communicate to you is that their product will make you happier, right? It's why you get car commercials that don't tell you diddly squat about the car. They just show you Matthew McConaughey driving it, <laughs> blabbering on about who knows what. Like, no one's paying attention to anything he says because they don't care. All they want to communicate to you is that this car will make you happier and it will contribute to your life. And I'm telling you, when you're watching TV, watching sports, watching whatever you watch, Pay attention to those commercials. Are they selling you the product or are they selling you what that product can provide to your life? And I think nine times out of 10, they're trying to sell you what that product will contribute to your life. And I would encourage you to identify those lies as you engage in whatever you watch on TV. And I mean, unfortunately, but also as those trying to seek first the kingdom of God, fortunately, um, I think time is telling the damage that materialism has had on the soul of our society. There's a book called The Progress Paradox by Greg Easterbrook, and from my understanding, he's not a Christian, has no intention of promoting the kingdom of God. But in his book, this is what he concludes. Although people in the West have far more wealth and possessions than we did 50 years ago, 10 times as many people suffer from unipolar depression than half a century ago. And he defines that as being overwhelmed with bad feelings without any specific cause. And so his conclusion is that materialism has given us more of everything except happiness, except human flourishing, which is the very thing it claims to provide. And so if you're familiar with any of the teachings of Jesus, I don't think that comes to a surprise to you because the Gospels are filled of Jesus' teaching talking about this kind of stuff that basically... It, it, it makes it super clear, right? He says things like, it's actually more blessed to give than receive. Or how life doesn't consist of an abundance of possessions. Or how you can't serve both God and money. Or, I mean, we're looking at Matthew 6, a few chapters 4, when Jesus kicks off the Sermon on the Mount. We have the Beatitudes, right? Where he says things like, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers. These aren't commands Jesus is giving us, right? These are just like statements about what human flourishing looks like and the way that God has designed us to live. And it's so radically different from the gospel of materialism. And it's, it's these statements that Jesus makes about what human flourishing looks like that fuels his instructions to his disciples. Like right in Matthew 6, verse 19, right? When he says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, right? It's not what's going to lead to human flourishing. It's not how I've created you and designed you to live. 
But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. And so as disciples of Jesus, the reason practicing simplicity with our possessions is so important is because it guards us from getting sucked into thinking that material possessions can fill any kind of real void in our life and help us better seek first the kingdom of God, which I know is our intention, right? Because the things, you've heard me say this a million times, the things we do, do something to us. And, and the more we buy, the more we want to buy. And the less we buy, the less we our heart is inclined to buy, which frees us up to desire God more, um, desire Jesus and his kingdom. And that's what 21st century psychology will tell you. Jesus says the exact same thing in verse 21 when he says, for where your treasure is, right, where you accumulate, that is where your heart's inevitably going to be drawn to. And so... Practically speaking, what does practicing simplicity with our spending habits actually look like? And strangely enough, I'm not going to tell you. Because every month we come out with material that lists reflection questions and um, helpful spiritual exercises that will help you embrace whatever the practice of the month is. And so I know that on Thursday, when that material comes out in the loop and gets posted on our website... All of us are going to go and go through those exercises, okay? Part two of the sermon is not happening today. It's happening on Thursday when you go and you find that material. Thursday. Thursday. Yeah, when In the Loop comes out. If you're not in the loop, main page, scroll all the way to the bottom, subscribe. Um, If you can't find any of that, call me. I will hand deliver it to you. Um, And as you go through it on Thursday... Um, Maybe you identify that materialism is not something that particularly you struggle with. Maybe, I I think we all probably do a little bit, but if you don't identify that as a prevailing challenge in your discipleship to Jesus and your pursuit to seek first the kingdom of God, that's great. There's a whole other side of simplicity, and that has to do with our time, which we're going to spend a couple minutes talking about now. Um, Have you heard of hustle culture? Are you familiar with the phrase hustle culture? It's what we live in. Right? It's this idea that a jam-packed schedule is a really good thing. And that it's a sign of someone who is super productive, which is the pinnacle quality anyone could possibly have. And it's a sign of someone that is important and making the absolute most of their life. And in hustle culture, hurrying from one thing to the next to the next to the next is a really good thing because you are making the most of your life. As someone seeking to... Seek first the kingdom of God. Is it? Is it really that great a thing? I don't know if I've gotten through a sermon without quoting our friend Dallas Willard, so I'm going to keep the streak going. He would say no. He would actually put much stronger words to it. He would say, hurry is actually the great enemy of the spiritual life in our day. And his thoughts are that we must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our life. And he would say that because hurry does not provide us the time to sit and abide in God's presence, to seek the fruit that that bears. doesn't give us the flexibility in our schedules required to seek first the kingdom of God and ultimately leaves us tired, burnt out, drained, things that make it very hard to extend love to another person. And I think if we think of our most disappointing moments as Disciples of Jesus, 
as a mother or a father or a brother or sister or friend, so often those moments come when we're just in a hurry. And I would argue that um, of all the stuff that we identify that the world holds uh, as true and noble and good, that we think are incompatible with the kingdom of God, I, th- I think this is the one thing that goes the most unnoticed. There's a, a professor in the States by the name of Michael Zigarelli, and he did a survey of 20,000 Christians across the globe wanting to identify their biggest obstacles to growth. And lo and behold, busyness was the number one major distraction in the spiritual life globally. Um, and his hypothesis at the end of the book, it's, it's fascinating, um, His hypothesis is this. He thinks that Christians are assimilating to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload, which leads to God becoming more marginalized in Christians' lives, which leads to a more, pardon me, which leads to a deteriorating relationship with God because God, our relationship with God is not meant to be marginalized to one area of our life, but meant to be a whole encompassing thing. Um, which then leads to Christians becoming even more vulnerable to adopting secular assumptions about how to live, about what human flourishing looks like, which then leads us to more conformity to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload, and then the cycle starts itself over again. And so, whether that happens all the time or not, I think we have to guard ourselves against that. Um, And so my question is, is, what is the solution to that? How can we escape that cycle so that we can, to the best of our ability, seek first the kingdom of God? And I know I'm not the only one that often catches myself saying when I get sucked into that cycle, if only I had more time. If only I had more time, then I would be able to start my day off in 30 minutes of prayer or silence and solitude. If only I had more time, I'd be able to take that person out for coffee. If I had more time, I'd be able to invest in my friends that is... Uh, far from God, if only then, Jacob, if I only had more time, then I would be able to attend a small group. And I think I'm becoming more and more aware that more time is not the solution. And it's actually super interesting. More time is not even possible. Like, there's 24 hours in a day. Stop using that reason. It's not going to get you anywhere. But there was a moment in time where we did gain more time. Um, 1879, does that day, that year ring a bell? What was invented in 1879? Thomas Edison. Light bulb. The light bulb was invented in 1879. And it's wild to see how much people slept before the invention of the light bulb. Because the light bulb provided us an ability to stay up past the sunsets. And so people before, this is American data, that's all I could find, People before the light bulb was invented, on average, slept 11 hours per night. 11 hours per night. When was the last time Jessica hasn't had 11 hours of sleep in the last eight years? 11 hours per night. Right now, the national average is seven. Right? All because the light bulb was invented. That's four more hours that you have in your day than someone did in 1878. And generally speaking, we are a busier more tired, more worn out, mentally drained, spiritually distracted people for it. And that's because when we got given that more time, kind of, artificially given more time, we just filled it with more stuff. And I think that's just our tendency. When we get given more time, we just fill it. And so 
If the solution is to not increase the amount of time we have, not even possible. Um, the solution has to be bringing our pace of life a little bit down, especially if this is a problem for us, simplifying our schedules. And practicing simplicity with our schedules is an attempt to do what our friend Dallas would say, to ruthlessly eliminate hurry. Not take everything off your schedule, because we know that's not possible, but to ruthlessly eliminate hurry. Um, and the reason I think this is so important is right on the screen, because A, it provides more time to seek first the kingdom of God, gives us more time to do those things we claimed we would do if we had more time, to invest in community, to invest in people far from God, to spend with our children more time consuming the teachings of Jesus, all these things that Jesus says leads to human flourishing, um, that he claims will actually fill the void in your life. Um, and B, it allows us to be more prepared to seek first the kingdom of God when we're actually engaging in the things that do need to be in our schedule. Right? It allows us to be more loving at work, more loving with our children, more loving with our spouse. It gives us that margin in our day we need when God ultimately interrupts our day and is calling us to respond to something that he wants us to be engaged in. If you think of most of the miracles and teachings of Jesus, they happened when someone interrupted him while he was doing something. But because he lived his life at a certain pace, where he had margin, that he was able to respond, he could seek first the kingdom of God and not seek first his massive to-do list. And so we arrive at that inevitable question of what exactly does eliminating hurry from our life look like? And what does practicing simplicity with our time look like? And as I said, with simplifying our schedules, I'm not telling you right now. Because I know on Thursday, when the material comes out, we're all going to look at it. And there are some very helpful exercises I would encourage you to look at. But the second reason I don't even want to try to go into that right now is because we are a very diverse group of people here today at varying stages of lives. And there is not a one-size-fit-all way of practicing simplicity. Because some phases of life are literally just naturally busier than others. And I know the parents in the room can appreciate that. Um, different seasons of life will bring different challenges, and busyness and hurry are certainly a challenge for anyone with young children. And that's okay, right? That's like inevitable. That's a part of the rhythm of life. And so practicing simplicity is going to look a lot different for a parent than it will for me, than it will for a student or someone going into university, than it will for someone who is retired. Um, but the one thing I will say and this is actually something that a parent at Northridge Community Church told me a couple months back. And he or she told me that if, you're, if you want to try to outweigh busyness, you're going to be waiting a while. Right? When, when, when the one thing that's taking up your time is finally completed, if we have made no lifestyle, no intentional decision or lifestyle change, we're going to inevitably just let something else fill that void and so if our plan is to outweigh the project that we're working on um, or our kids moving out or the semester coming to a close or a sermon being written, I'm calling myself out here, I think we're going to be waiting for that busy free life a lot longer than we think. And, and I would say if, if hurry truly is the great enemy or one of the enemies of the spiritual life, are we willing to wait that long? 
Are we willing to leave one of the greatest hindrances to our experience of God unaddressed until it just hopefully happens organically? Um, Or do we want to try and do something about it? And do we want to make some kind of adjustment that is possible in our phase of life that will help us better align our pace of life to the pace in life of Jesus? And if you do, then once again, Thursday. There are helpful exercises on there. If you are married, this is not something you do on your own. This is something you do sitting down with your spouse. Um, And I'm not going to go into it anymore because it will take me down a rabbit trail. But there's some really helpful exercises in there. Um, Even if this is not, you don't identify this as a challenge to you, I'd encourage you to look at that and make sure. Um, Because again, this is... If it's a great enemy of the spiritual life, we have to take it seriously. And if you are a forgetful person, as I am, and you think maybe there's a chance that you forget that on Thursday there's something for you to do, there's someone much more wise than I that has a very helpful way of remembering things that happen on Thursday. Okay, just remember Thursday. Thursday. Can you remember Thursday? (laughs) Okay, so Tuesday? Thursday. Look, if you need help remember, just think of it like this. The third day, all right? Monday, one day. Tuesday, two day. Wednesday, when, huh? What day? Thursday. <laughs> the third day, okay? Thank you. Okay. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not overly gifted, but one of the gifts I do have is this incredible ability to think of an office quote or a friend's quote at will. So as I was writing this, I was like, I can't not use this. Um... Worship team, you guys, you guys can come up. Um, there's one final thing I'd like to say as we close our time today. Just trying to, once again, frame this whole practice of Jesus thing as we, as we seek to engage in it. Um, the practices of Jesus or the spiritual disciplines are a means to an end. They are not the end. Right? The end, the goal for us as disciples of Jesus is transformation through the power of his spirit more and more into his likeness. Um, that's, that's, that's the end that we're after. And the, the practices of Jesus like silence and solitude, like gratitude, like memorization or self-care or simplicity are a means to that end. Right? And the moment we start treating these practices as the end, right, as if like my my calling as a disciple of Jesus is to read my Bible for 30 minutes a day or to pray for 30 minutes a day or to serve X amount of days a week or to start my day with gratitude every day. The moment we start treating our goal as those things, that's legalism. And I don't think that's what the gospel of Jesus Christ proclaims at all. Right? Our end goal is living into the kingdom of God, of stepping into his unfolding story every single day seeking first his righteousness, seeking his likeness. And the practices are these beautiful things that allow us to do that. And so my prayer for myself, my prayer for all of us as we engage in these things is that we allow Jesus to shape all aspects of the way we live life um, beyond just what we know, but how we actually live in efforts to better align our lives with his. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you um, that you invite us into life with you. You invite us to be your disciples and your apprentices. 
And Lord, that we know that none of that is even really possible without the fact that you came to earth. You took on the punishment of our sin. You died and you rose again. Um, And as a result, we now get to live in this barrier-free relationship with you. And Lord, we know, you know our hearts here this morning, you know our desire is to live in full recognition of what you are doing in this world and wanting to participate in it with you. Um, but we have challenges, Lord, and, and so I pray that, I mean, this week, but just this summer, this next season of life, Lord, you would identify the ways in which we are living that are just not aiding us in that pursuit. Um, we know that following you is this holistic practice that involves mind, body, and spirit, Lord. And so I pray that um, we would partner with you and allow you to show us the ways that you, you call us to live, the ways that will lead us to what human flourishing looks like. Um, and yeah, that is our desire, Lord, to, to really press into what you are doing in our world. And I pray that um, we would just really commit to that as a, as a body, as in our own individual lives, Lord, but also collectively as a community. I pray these things in your name. Amen.